1: Good morning. Good morning to all our listeners. This is Adel Kozlowski. I'm so glad to be back and I'm glad that faggy is sitting with me virtually. Good morning, faggy Good morning, Adel. Thank you so much. And we are super excited because we've got Dr. Kassel back. We've missed him. Um, we had to share him with some of his family in England, but we're glad that he's uh, back in town and that we could partake of his wisdom. Today, we are going to be talking about epilepsy. This is the third in a series that we've been talking about different um, uh, uh, things that can go wrong from a neurological point of view from a brain point of view and we are going to be discussing all things epilepsy we'd love you to join this conversation as always ask Dr. Castle a question make a comment our SMS line is 34519 our telegram number 061895 one oh one nine. So, without further ado, good morning, Dr. Castle. So good that you're back in town and that uh, we can see you today.
0: Morning, Idol. It's wonderful to be back. I've, been, I've really missed it. I really have. Well, good morning, Dr.
1: Castle. Welcome back. Good to see good you. Morning,
0: Peggy.
1: Okay, we're going to hand over the virtual microphone to you, Dr. Castle, for an introduction into epilepsy.
0: Thank you so much. My presentation today will conclude the medical emergencies related to brain lesions and embrace the general term epilepsies. I've deliberately used the plural term, as we will see that there is more than one single presentation of epilepsy. As usual, as I always do, a brief outline of brain function. The brain is the electrical powerhouse of the body with millions of neuronal cells all co- interconnecting with each other via synapses and fibers, electrically charged fibers. These fibers are in turn covered by an insulation material called myelin. Now, you can imagine your plug at home with two electrical wires, and covered by an insulation tape the brain is exactly the same the classical epileptic attack occurs when these electrical circuits become exposed and touch each other either by deficiencies of the myelin or deficiencies of the cells or the synapses and they therefore cause a short circuit of the electrical current which is the cause of the electric attack the same as happens to your lights when suddenly things wear out and the lights inter and the wires interconnect and you suddenly get an explosion this usually occurs in a predisposed susceptible area of the brain Epilepsy as we know it consists of a susceptible area in the motor cortex of the brain, which becomes exposed abnormally. This causes the typical epileptic attack as we know it, the stiffening, which is called tonus, followed by the jerking, which is called clonus, and sometimes followed by loss of consciousness and the involuntary passage of urine and stools. But this epileptic focus may not be confined to the motor cortex of the brain. It may also occur in other susceptible areas of the brain, which have nothing to do with motor function. And this gives us some of the other forms of epilepsy. The broker area of the brain is the speech center. The ophthalmic area of the brain is the visual center. The olfactory area of the brain is the smell center. The auditory area of the brain is the hearing center. And the thalamic and hypothalamic areas of the brain are the emotional centers. So yes, there can be epileptic attacks which purely involve speech, smell, vision, hearing, emotions. And these are, of course, more difficult to pick up in the absence of the actual seizure. If one opens Samson Wright's textbook of physiology, which was written when I was a medical student, he describes the classical example of hypothalamic epilepsy as Adolf Hitler. He used to lie down and chew his carpet in rage, in rage attacks. And I'm not mentioning it in any way to exonerate Hitler from anything, but he did also have hypothalamic epilepsy. And maybe if this had been detected by his physicians, it may have calmed him down in a lot of ways and may have prevented a great tragedy from occurring in the world. So yes, there are epileptics that go unnoticed in the epileptic attacks. There is also epilepsy involving more defined areas of the motor cortex, like petty mal, petty mal epilepsy, drop seizures. I'm not going to touch on those now. All you have to remember from this attack is that the classical epileptic attack, wherever it occurs, occurs when a short circuit occurs in a susceptible focus of the brain. And this may be due to a number of causative factors which I now want to discuss. What are the causes of epilepsy? First of all, congenital. Congenital is always uh, top of the list. It's an inherited defect where due to hereditary, hereditary factors, the child may in fact be born with an epileptic focus, a deficiently developed area of the brain which is susceptible to him getting or her getting epileptic attacks. But far more commonly is the abnormal focus in the brain, the abnormal area suddenly arising after birth as a result of damage to the brain tissue. This may be the result of trauma, where in 10% of cases, a fracture of the skull will damage the brain and lead to post-traumatic epilepsy. Other circulatory factors may also damage cerebral tissue, such as hemorrhage, cerebral thrombosis, and of course meningitis, and lead to post-recovery epilepsy. So yes, the abnormal focus has to be identified. Thirdly, and this is the exciting new field that is emerging today, which I mentioned in the previous program, toxic damage to brain cells or myelin, which may arise from certain inherited enzymatic defects involving funnily enough the digestion of common food particles, including milk, resulting in the emergence of damaging toxins, which may destroy cells, destroy myelin. This abnormality, however, is likely to be more generalised and not confined to a specific focus. But nevertheless, it may present itself with uncontrolled seizures. And the neurologist will tell you, because the first thing that has been brought out in epilepsy is drugs trying to control it. And of course, the drug should come last. You should rather know what you're trying to control. And if you do know what you're trying to control, then the treatment will be a lot easier. The very interesting emerging field of neuroscience is attempting to identify the deficient enzymes congenitally acquired which may lead to damaging toxins arising from the ingestion of ordinary ordinary foods and especially milk. Fourthly, the sudden occurrence of tumors, how well we know this, that a person with a sudden uh, origin of a, of a brain cancer, that often the first sign may be a seizure and presents as an epileptic attack. So, yes, the whole new subject in neuroscience has begun to emerge. And this investigates fully the inherited causes of epilepsy. In other words, the chromosomes and also the congenital enzymatic deficiencies which can cause epilepsy and are becoming more and more commonly identified, particularly in the epilepsies resistant to drug therapy.
1: We are talking to to Dr. Castle, and we are talking about epilepsy. We've had a great introduction. If you'd like to join the conversation, 34519 is our SMS number, 061895. Eight yeah, no eight nine five one zero one nine is our Telegram number.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fage Stern. We're
1: talking epilepsy today with Dr. Jack Castle. Dr. Dr. Castle, so am I understanding correctly that um, epilepsy is primarily either chromosomal or congenital?
0: Now, it's not necessarily chromosomal at all. It can arise in perfectly normal individuals who have trauma to the brain. If you have a child who has a cerebral hemorrhage, particularly post birth, and it leaves a damaged focus of brain that has nothing to do with anything inherited. If a person uh, has an accident and has a fracture of the skull, and brain tissue gets damaged. It has nothing to do with anything congenital. In fact, the congenital causes are actually quite rare. The acquired causes are far more common. I'm talking about chromosomal defects. The congenital enzymatic defects, at the moment, we don't really know because at the moment in South Africa, you have, when the baby's born, they ask the mother, do you want a metabolic screen done? And they give it a card, and it costs a couple of thousand rand, and you can screen for the co- common enzymes uh, like phenylketonuria. But it's nowhere near the amount of enzymes that can be congenitally missing in a child that gets unexplained seizures. It doesn't even scratch the surface. And even though there are facilities available in Potchefstroom now, it's, uh, you know, like the Yiddish expression, goes schlepping, saying taking teeth out. You've you, you, you got to really turn uh, heaven and earth to, to actually get an answer out of them. But today there are two countries in the world where more and more of these defects are being identified. The one leading the world is, is strangely enough, Eretz Israel. Chiba medical center with five or ten milliliters of blood will tell you what enzymatic defects you have in uncontrolled epilepsy and if there are any neurologists listening to this i don't want to intrude on your territory but if you have a case of uncontrolled epilepsy and you can't stop the fits for heaven's sake send the blood off it's very easy to do and let them analyze the specimen for enzymatic defects. And they are, I can tell you now that there are famous cases in South Africa at the moment. We recently diagnosed a child who is only one of six cases in the world with this defect, four of which are dead, who was having uncontrolled seizures and is now having controlled, seizure, controlled epilepsy. So, if, if I make one appeal today, it is in the uncontrolled case. In the controlled case, we're not talking about that. It should still be done. But in the uncontrolled case, where you just can't control the fits, and you've used phenobarb and you've Newton and Zorontan and uh, uh, Kepler and all the, all the known anti-convulsants and nothing is happening, send a specimen off for enzyme studies and you might get a big surprise so to go on where was i now the investigation of epilepsy when do we investigate an epilepsy investigate any unexplained seizure occurring in a child over the age of three of that there is no question if a child suddenly gets a seizure over the age of three years unexplained you don't know why immediately investigated because strangely enough the classical grand mal epilepsy seldom presents in the first three years of life it usually presents later it usually presents around about five or six years secondly Investigate any non-fever seizure, non-pyrexial seizure occurring more than once in a child under three years of age. It's all very well to say the child had a temperature, had a fit, the child had a temperature, had a fit. At some stage, you must know what the fit is due to. Number three, investigate any repeat pyrexial or breath-holding seizures occurring in a child certainly if they are more than two, bearing in mind always that 6% of fever convulsions and 13% of breath-holding attacks can go on to cause damage and produce full-blown epilepsy, give you the epileptic focus. So you can't just laugh it off. If these things keep on occurring, then they should be investigated. Now, what is the investigation of epilepsy? The initial investigation is always an electroencephalogram. As the word implies, it's a recording of the electrical activity of the brain and will immediately identify any abnormal epileptic focus. It can either be done at a random encephalogram, just do it, or as a six to 24-hour sleep electroencephalogram. But always be cautious to do this if possible, seven to 10 days after the seizure, because the seizure causes abnormal electrical activity in the brain, and you may then get false positives and put the child onto treatment when it's not indicated. So always one should wait until the brain has settled down completely. What is the second investigation you can do in epilepsy? You can do a scan, either CT scan or an MRI scan, and this should always be carried out if a focus is identified on the electroencephalogram. And even if there is no focus, Any persisting abnormal EEG activity, persisting after 10 days, should warrant scanning. Thirdly, the very important genetic screening for a possible cause of epilepsy. This should involve chromosomal testing and metabolic screening for known enzymatic defects. As I've said before, metabolic screening in our own country is still in its infancy. And of course, a lot of the laboratories will take me up on that point, but it is still in its infancy. Countries such as Israel and America have far more sophisticated methods of detecting congenital enzymatic defects. We do have, as I've said, we do have metabolic screening at birth, which should always be done unquestionably. And in certainly, in any case resistant to therapy, one should not hesitate to utilize our own facilities and the, over, and the overseas facilities which are available in Israel and where we have a good relationship with the neurologists at Sheba Medical Center, where they will do the bloods for us, five or 10 milliliter of clotted blood, and they will analyze for congenital metabolic defects. So don't hesitate to do that. The treatment of epilepsy. Well, the treatment of the the classic epileptic seizure is something that everybody should be aware of since you don't often have time to summon any sort of help and cerebral damage can be avoided if one acts immediately. The first principle in any child that's fitting is to maintain an airway and to avoid any obstructions to the airway, such as swallowing of the tongue or other forms of obstruction. If the child becomes blue, do mouth-to-mouth breathing until the seizure stops and until the child establishes normal breathing. They often go into what's called a post-ictal phase, a post-fit phase, where the seizure stops and they're exhausted from the seizure and they just lie limp and they don't breathe at all. In that situation, it is very important to give mouth to mouth gently and just maintain the color of the baby. The oxygenation is vital in the epileptic fit and in certainly in any seizure that is prolonged. Drug therapy is of course very important, and this is what is used every day here in South Africa. But This is arranged by the neurologist and will depend, as I've said, mainly on the areas of the brain that are involved or affected. I will not discuss this at all in this talk, as it's not our field, it's not the purpose of our presentation. We've already said what one should do in relation to uncontrolled epilepsy with drugs. Now, the exciting new possibilities that are arising with epilepsy, just like any lesion anywhere else in the body, the epileptic focus is, which is well, if it's well-defined, can be removed. And very often in a child that has the focus situated in an area of the brain where damage will not occur, and you excise that focus, the fits will dramatically stop. This work is being done in Cape Town at the moment. They're well developed with this. And South Africa is getting excellent results by surgical removal of the epileptic focus. Obviously, you can't go on excising an electric fo- uh, an epileptic focus in the speech centre because you'll take away that person's speech. You can't do that, but you can, in certain non-essential areas of the brain, you can remove the epileptic focus. And this becomes a real possibility with 100% cures. The identification of congenital, chromosomal, enzymatic abnormalities is forming an exciting new field in the investigation of the epilepsies. And in my opinion, should also be form a former part of the investigation of any epilepsy here in South Africa. In conclusion, because I will leave quite a lot of time for questions, because we don't have time for questions usually, and I've deliberately done this quickly. <clears throat> in conclusion, you've got to get old, get rid of the old judicial belief. With a person epileptic, he's no good for or she's no good for a shidduch, stay away from them, all that sort of thing. Epilepsy is a lesion arising in the brain, the same as any lesion occurring elsewhere in the body. No stigma should ever be attached to a person suffering from epilepsy. The effects of the epileptic focus are becoming more and more manageable. People living with epilepsy have reached some of the most advanced positions in science, in medicine, in economics, and in every sphere of life. And they should never be excluded from leading as near a normal life as possible. They even allow epileptics to fly airplanes today and everything else. So get rid of the old belief but an ep- epilepsy is like leprosy, it's not a scourge, it's not anything like that. It. It's simply a lesion that has arisen in the brain from the causes we've mentioned. It con- can be controlled, it can be brought under control, and it should have no stigma whatsoever attached to it. That's all I want to say about it, and I will leave the rest for your questions.
2: Dr. Kassler, is it an easy process to send um, your blood to the Sheba Medical Center? Is there someone in South Africa that people can deal with? Now there's
0: somebody in South Africa. Let me just ask what the my sisters. Naomi, Naomi, Naomi Hadar. Naomi Hadar. is head of uh, Sheba, and she's the representative for Sheba in South Africa, and she's part of Telfed. And if one finds up Naomi... Naomi will, first of all, enable you to liaise or enable the doctors to liaise with the neurologists that are involved in this in Israel. And it's an exciting new possibility because I'm sure as I'm talking here now, there are many people suffering with children that have uncontrolled fits. They just don't know what to do. So I'm telling them what to do.
2: I think even as an adult, people have been suffering with this for so long. Maybe they can even get the help that they've oh, always needed.
0: That's where it's very, very important. Sure.
1: So, I mean, this discussion it, is really it's, around it's, children, it's, but it applies to adults as well. And and with new technology,
2: I'm sure there's so much going on that you know hasn't been hasn't helped people in many years. There has to be a lot more new technology that can help with epilepsy.
0: Of course, you see, the brain is the one of the most neglected organs in the body, and medical research. Yes, You know, the lung we've understood fully from the days in the 18th century when people used to treat pneumonia with a belladonna plaster stuck on the chest. And actually some of the greatest physicians in the world thought you actually got them better with that. Today, you treat pneumonia totally differently. You look at it differently, you understand lung function, you understand asthma. But everybody has shied away from really understanding the brain. That's what the problem has been. They couldn't understand the brain. And Israel has really broken the field over here uh, and uh, is doing amazing work in understanding brain function, in understanding how you function.
1: So one of the things that I found very interesting, you mentioned at the beginning of your talk, the the idea of 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 toxic elements, including milk. Like, who would put those two words together, toxic and milk?
0: Well, we know the well recognized condition over here of phenylketonuria, where you feed phenylalanine to a baby, and phenylalanine. Doesn't get broken down properly due to an enzyme deficiency, and it forms a poisonous substance which starts poisoning brain cells. And so you go on feeding the milk, and so you go on poisoning the brain cells, and eventually the child dies of phenylketonuria. But well, why phenylketonuria has held the floor, I'm not sure, because in my 60 years of doing this. I've only seen two cases of phenyl tetanuria, identified two cases. We may, we may have missed a few, but uh, uh, it, it's not a common condition. Far commoner is the ordinary enzymatic defects that can arise in ordinary substances, protein amino acid substances in milk, which cannot be broken down properly. And this is what Israel is now identifying. All of a sudden... You take them off the milk, and hey, presto, things get better. The seizure's stop. You identify the causes. And Meet Johnson in America, when we had these first cases of this occurring, me Johnson in America actually prepared special feeds for where we identified the enzymatic defects in the American universities. As I say, in South Africa, Uh, And I'm not running down neurology in South Africa, don't get me wrong, but due to constrained finances, and believe me, these tests cost a fortune, due to constrained finances, we're unable to develop these facilities to their full potential. It would be too expensive for most people. And unless you're running a lab where you're doing all this and studying all this, you're also banging your head up against the wall. We've tried to bring the cost down. The laboratories have tried to bring the cost down, but it's not easy. And mm-hmm. it's also, it's not easy to create a bench in a laboratory if you don't have a demand. The classic example was... Can, extremely... can I ask
1: you to hold that thought on the classic example? We're going to come back to you shortly. Going for a quick break. This is 101.9, Chai FM.
0: This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kusilski and Fagie Stern.
1: We're speaking to Dr. Kassel about epilepsy and what can possibly be done to alleviate or even maybe cure um, this condition. Not only in children, I think it applies to adults as well. Doctor, before the, the break, you were wanting to give an example.
0: Well, a typical example is congenital thyroid deficiency. This used to be a terrible scourge because before you diagnosed it, by the time the baby was three or six months old, the baby was permanently damaged. The brain hadn't developed properly because it needs thyroid to function after birth. Today, every single delivery, they do a TSH, a thyroid stimulating hormone. Now, it took a tremendous amount of effort to get the laboratories to finally do the TSH on every single birth. And today, the cost of that test is minimal because it's being done on hundreds of people. But that is just one example of where you're screening and you don't see congenital thyroid deficiency untreated anymore. Not unless it's in a very rural area where they don't yet do these things. So this is, the the, the the laboratories themselves will tell you, the biochemists, that in order to make a test feasible, it has to have volume, as, less like anything else. It brings the cost down. So therefore, our next big task over here must be, with the assistance of the overseas people, and even our people know what all the enzymatic defects can be, to start identifying those tests that can be done and doing them as a routine, not saying when the baby's born, Dr. Castle, should I do the enzymatic screening? Of course you should do the enzymatic screening, but the enzymatic screening is, is minimal compared to what can really be done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the you point.
2: mentioned earlier about the three-year-old and the enzymatic screening. Um, you said that the, that the th- after three when they start having the first they should be tested. If someone does the enzymatic screening when they're born, well, would that, let's say, prevent further issues
0: before they're three? Well, of course, on the enzymatic screening, you identify what the enzymatic deficiencies are. You would then take steps to exclude the food. It's mainly related to foods, where foods cannot be broken down properly and where toxins arise from the non-proper breakdown of foods those toxins then poison the brain and if you can identify what the what the enzymatic defect is which doesn't break down the toxic product in ordinary normal milk then you will prevent those toxins from being perpetuated and gradually poisoning brain tissue It's all very well to control fits, but if you're going on destroying brain cells, you can control as many fits as you like. Eventually, it will become worse. You've got to control the cause of the fits and the the pathology that's causing it. You know, this whole
2: milk story, we always have the same question. It's it's just so fascinating how many effects it has on people. And I, I try to keep milk out of my house. My kids keep on begging me for it. But I think, like, it's not only an epileptic issue, you know, it's, it, it causes brain issues. Like, sometimes kids' behaviour is completely out of control after they drink milk. Like, I mean, a lot of the time people don't, you know, connect the two dots.
0: Well, it's, it's quite true because, uh, <clears throat> as we have said before, uh, there are certain sensitivities and, and foods that cannot be broken down properly that may cause abnormal stimulation in the brain and could cause emotional instability. And I've seen it happen where a child that doesn't sleep at night and you can't get them to sleep and they're perpetually irritable. You all of a sudden stop the milk and put them onto soy, and you've got a different child. You mm-hmm. stop the milk and dairy products, see. And in that case, <clears throat> it's uh, it's it's sometimes for carbohydrate enzymes which are causing trouble.
1: So To understand properly, um, epilepsy is because of an generally an enzymatic problem. Sometimes it is; it can be chromosomal, it can be genetic, but it's really what what we, we can control a lot of it by what we're putting into the child. Like if we, we actually identify what is what enzyme is missing or what is defective or what is causing all of this, like a lot of it can be controlled through nutrition.
0: Yes, correct. You see, uh, nutrition will stop further damage from occurring. Epilepsy has the same cause whatever is causing it. It's the exposure of live wires, the defect of myelin that's insulating the live wires and the breakdown of brain cells. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what's causing it. That's the etiology of epilepsy. But if you go on feeding a substance that is causing damage to those tissues and causing more and more damaged areas of brain more and more exposed electrical wires more and more short-circuiting wires you will obviously get an increase of the seizures an increase of the fits and an increase of everything the good news about pediatrics is that the brain has a regenerative capacity so if you can stop the destruction of the brain, by whatever is destroying it, the brain can regenerate and can take over the effective areas. And you often, you do see that happening where a child has uncontrolled seizures, you all of a sudden discover the cause, you know the correct treatment, and all of a sudden that area of brain becomes obliterated. It becomes covered over by normal brain tissue. Is something we don't understand about the brain. It can recover just like any other organ in the body. It's not a scourge. It's not a curse. It's a, that's what I'm trying to, to emphasize over here. It's simply a condition that's arisen the same as any other condition. And it can be controlled, provided you know its causes.
1: Yeah. Again, it always comes down to causes. I actually was watching a fascinating TED Talk Um, by i think a neurologist in uh, in new zealand who said there's been an increase in in brain related illness particularly mental illness adhd bipolar um, a whole lot of stuff she gave like an entire like gamut of it and she said there's been obviously an increase in in um, giving medicine to try control or, or like depression anxiety all that stuff but she says what they're finding is that even though it can help in the short term, it's not you're not looking at the cause. And she says, what is the cause? And she goes and shows um, medically, they, they've done studies to prove that because our nutrition is not up, up up to standard, we're not getting giving the children the right things. you know everybody's eating all the preservatives, the additives you know, a lot of of, of food that doesn't actually have any nutritional value, that that is causing disturbances in the brain. And she says maybe, that her question at the end was, maybe we should start looking at um, mental illness and all illnesses (laughs) relating to the brain in a different way. Yes, she says it's good to have the medications to try to control it. But she says, again, as you say, you're not looking at the cause.
0: Well, you're making the big mistake that a lot of people make. It's trying to treat something which you don't understand. But. The treatment should come last. You should understand fully the pathogenesis. You should know what the cause is. And if you try to just institute treatments, it's like throwing dots at a darts boards mm-hmm. and, and hoping that you're going to hit the bullseye. You don't hit the bullseye like that. You only hit the bullseye if we actually know what's wrong. And give the appropriate treatment. It's always been my philosophy the treatment should come last, not first. And well, you're quite right.
1: That certainly is, 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 is very deep wisdom. And again, this is something that we you know we promote all the time um, on our show, is that go I quote you all the time, for every cause there's an effect, and for every effect there's a cause. So just go find where you're at thank you again dr Castle, for for your wisdom for your time and this certainly has has opened my mind um to understanding epilepsy far more and i hope that it's been of benefit both to our listeners and anybody you know who needed this information i'm sure we're going to have you back soon for a, a another episode uh faggy will definitely pencil you in in the meantime wishing everybody a wonderful week ahead a healthy week and uh, we'll be back the same place next week. Thank you, Faggy. Thank you, Dr. Castle. Thank
0: you, Dr. Cussons. Thank you, gentlemen. So thank Feige, and thanks, and thanks to uh, your radio station, Kaya It's a Indeed. pleasure to do it for you. And if we can just elucidate a few of the problems, the the most simple problems in the world are those that are simple exactly. that you can identify as being simple.
2: Exactly. And,